0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to to graceharvestchurch.org. And we're calling it Seek Him 2024. And today's message is this, ask, seek, and knock. A good and willing father is listening. So you have a good and willing father and he's listening to you and he wants you to ask, seek, and knock. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you that you are already manifesting yourself here by your Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you. We recognize you, Triune God, in the midst of us. Thank you that you're in the church. Thank you that you are the one that is touching our hearts, speaking to us, adjusting things in us, changing us. And we we welcome you today. We welcome you. We ask you. We invite you to come in through the Word. And we pray that you would speak to our life, that you would adjust us, encourage us, change us and help us, Lord. Help us even in our prayer lives to know how to seek You more, to love You more, to to show up and trust You. Lord, I pray now for the help of Your Spirit to teach and preach, and I pray that You would give us the ability to hear and to act on what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Is anybody else in this room cooking other than me? Oh, it's warm. Some of you in this room, you're like, I like it. It's cozy but if I see anybody falling asleep, I'll throw something at you. I just you to... That's what we do around here. We throw stuff at people. Just kidding. So you know, today we're going to learn about a good and willing heavenly father, a God who loves to hear our voices and answer our prayers. We're going to see that God is not like an unwilling neighbor who must be shamed in order to help us. God wants to demonstrate His love for us in our prayer lives as we partner to see His kingdom advance on planet Earth. And you know, I just want to stop and comment on my opening comment. Your perspective of God is going to affect the way you pray. That's the bottom line here. In fact, we're going to see that Jesus is really addressing perspective. If you have this idea in your mind that God is paying attention to important people, And you're not important. Or that you're not praying in the right code. You don't have the right language. You haven't mixed together the perfect concoction of words in order to get his attention. Or if you have this idea that prayer is only for the elite. The super spiritual. The people who got it figured out. Who got the language down. Right? Or if you think that God's mad at you. he's always mad at you, and he's disappointed all the time, and your life is just blowing it all the time, and he's just disappointed, then what's going to happen is when you go to pray, you're going to be under condemnation. Your heart's going to condemn you. You're going to say, I don't have the right words. I'm not good at this. And before you ever get in the game, you're going to check out of the game. You're going to be on the bench instead of playing. That's appropriate for today. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Right? And so... What I want to do today is share a parable with you and also just some teaching that Jesus gave us on prayer. And I want to show you, according to Jesus, that God is not only good, but He's willing and He loves you and He loves your voice. And He's not looking for a performance. He's just looking for you to show up and talk to Him like a son or a daughter would talk to their daddy. Amen? So let's look at Luke chapter 11, if you're a person who brings your own Bible with you, whether it's a paper Bible or a digital Bible, Luke 11, and if you're new to the Bible and you have a paper one and you're trying to find out where Luke 11 is, go about two-thirds of the way back into the Bible and you'll see the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll go to the 11th chapter of Luke, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. This is one of the most profound sections on prayer in the Bible. I love this, and, and I think it's going to greatly encourage you as well. So Luke 11, verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, it says this He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Isn't isn't the Bible powerful? Gosh. And Jesus, man, he's my hero. So I want to break this down and, and have you take note of several things with me. The first thing I want you to notice is hunger. Hunger. The disciples were hungry. They observed Jesus praying and it made them hunger. It says in verse 1, he was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. You see, they'd been with Jesus now for probably a couple of years. They'd watched him get up many, many days while it was still dark and leave. And he would go to a desert place. He would go to a hill. He would go to a mountain. And he would spend long periods of time in prayer and come back. And then sometimes he would say, hey, guys, come with me and he would take them with him, and they would observe him praying. And you can imagine, as they watched Jesus pray, something was happening. They began to recognize that this man prays differently. He doesn't just pray our Hebrew prayers. He doesn't just go through them by rote and ritual. He is connecting with his Father. They they recognized when he prayed that he He was was different. He talked to God like God was knowable, like God was a person. He called God Abba, Father. And so they're observing this and they're, they're recognizing. See, Jews wouldn't have called God Abba when they prayed. They wouldn't have prayed to Him as Father. They wouldn't even say His name. They feared saying His name. Yahweh, Jahwe, however you properly pronounce it at that time, they struggled with even saying his name. Okay, so they're they're approaching this God, and the only thing they knew to do was to go through the ritual prayers of Israel at the time. And these guys had been raised up their whole life in prayer, in scripture. They had gone to synagogue. They'd listen to the rabbis teach and watch the rabbis stand in front and pray. They'd watch the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know why the Sadducees are called Sadducees? Because they don't believe in the resurrection or angels, so they're sad, you see? Anyway, that's terrible. That's a dad joke if I ever heard one. But they had observed these different people pray, and suddenly they're watching Jesus pray. And he's talking to God like God is his Father. And like there's an actual relationship there. Right? And so they began to hunger. And the second thing is, is they were humble. The disciples weren't too proud to get help. Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. See, they were humble. They recognized their need And in Scripture, we see over and over, humility is a key to an effective and intimate prayer life. If you want to get close to God, be humble. And here's the thing. Isn't it funny that most of us in this room probably wouldn't think to actually ask somebody to teach us how to pray? We'd be too embarrassed. We'd feel like, I'm a Christian. I should already know how to do this. And so what happens is most of us secretly we're frustrated in our prayer life, not all of us, but, but some of us, I'll just say some of us, some of us are frustrated in our prayer lives because we've never been quite humble enough to go to somebody who's walked longer, been down the road further, and knows how to pray and say, hey, could you show me how to pray? Can I hang out with you a little bit when you pray? Don't just teach me, we'll get in the Bible, let's look at what the scripture says, yes, but let's go beyond just being taught I want it to be caught. Yeah, right. I want to get up next to you. I want to rub shoulders with you. I want to observe you, and I want to do it with you. I want to learn how to pray. And, and they had watched somebody pray who really knew how to pray. Yeah. I mean, they'd watched him heal the sick and raise dead people. They saw him talk to God like, Father, one time he prays. He says, Father, I pray not for my sake, but for those who are here That they may know that I'm your son, right? They may know we have this connection and then God breaks out, right? So they had observed this. They knew that he walked with Jesus and they weren't too proud to to ask. And I just want to tell you, if you struggle in your prayer life, there's nothing shameful about that. Most of us have never had a mentor. We've never had somebody disciple us. We've never had somebody say, come along with me while we pray. And it's okay to ask. Can I get an amen? Amen. Number three, heart. Jesus taught them the simple heart of prayer. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holier. Um, Hallowed be your name. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves... Also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. How many of you recognize this prayer? This is an amended, shorter version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And in this particular case, there are a couple of elements left out, but I want you to see that this prayer captures, the Lord's Prayer captures the heart of a son or daughter who prays to their father. It covers the important elements of life. It's the perfect framework. It's the skeleton that you put your own flesh on when you pray. So what, what is he saying here? He's, th- th- this prayer, think about it. This prayer is at the center of 2,000 years of people who follow Jesus. It's an abbreviated version, as I said, of the Lord's Prayer. It captures the essence of Jesus' own relationship with his Father in prayer. God is Abba, Father, and he cares. Think about the elements. That he cares about our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. He wants to bring his rule on earth, your kingdom come, your will be done. And he wants to forgive our sins, forgive us as we forgive, and keep us on track and lead us not into temptation and the rest of it, but deliver, rescue, save us from evil and the evil one. So, what what is this doing? It's capturing the essence of what all of us want for our life. We want a relationship with God as a father. We want to. See his rule and reign flood over the earth. We want to see his will done in people's lives, in our own lives, in our family, our marriages, right? We want us, we want our daily needs met. Give us what we need today, spirit, soul, and body. You're the bread of life. I want to feast on you. I want to feast on your word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We want to be a people that are feasting on God spiritually, but also we have physical needs. We, we have bills to pay, right? We have children to care for, and, and he's showing us here. This is the heart of prayer. It's just very real, and keep us from evil, and deliver us, and rescue us, and and help us not to be tempted and, and, we for, and forgive us as we forgive. All of these things are so elemental to what it means to be human. Right. And he's saying, that's the kind of walk you have with God. Yeah. Yeah. Just talk with God real. Bring your stuff to Him. Have a, a conversational relationship with Him. Yes. Is this talking to anybody? Yeah. And the next thing I want you to see is that then Jesus goes into the main part of this story and he contrasts an unwilling friend to his father. And it's really important we understand this is a contrast. That Jesus is not saying Father God is like the unwilling friend. It's just the opposite. You see, there was a method in Hebrew teaching, parallelism, and a method of contrast. We see this all through the book of Proverbs. We see, we see the fool and the wise person. We see the virtuous woman. And what else do we see? The harlot and the foolish woman. We see all these different contrasts, and this was a normal Hebraic method of teaching. So now Jesus is coming before his disciples. They're asking him how to pray, and he's saying, I want to show you a contrast. I want to show you an unwilling friend, and what I want you to see out of this is this is not how God is, but you still keep going. You don't give up. You don't quit. Right. Right. Amen. And, and just to define a term, just so we're all on the same page, contrast. I want you to think about that word. It means the state of being strikingly different from something else in juxtaposition to put against or close association. It's the action of calling attention to notable differences. A thing or a person having qualities noticeably different from another. So a contrast is Jesus is saying, Father is noticeably different than this unwilling friend. And I want you to see this. So that when you pray, you pray with a motive knowing that God loves you. And then one of the other things you see here is a right motive if you're going to pray boldly is to serve others. So what's the need? What's the need here? This friend that comes to his friend in the middle of the night has had someone come to his home and in that culture, in Hebrew culture, hospitality was huge. Like you could not turn away a neighbor who came knocking on your door. In fact, if... You had set aside some provision for your family and a neighbor knocked on your door. You gave him the provision for your family if that's all you had. That's how important hospitality was. And so so that he would not be shamed, he had to take care, but he didn't have anything. So he goes to his neighbor and he's knocking on the door and it's midnight and this neighbor's in the house with all of his family and I'll get to that in a minute and he's knocking and he's knocking. Right? And and what's the motive? The motive is I want to serve my, my, my guest. I want to take care of another. And I want to tell you something. If you want to get close to the heart of God, you start praying for people with needs. You start praying for people that you know are suffering. You stand in the gap for them and you ask God to give them bread. Give them what they need, Lord. That moves the heart of God. It pleases Him. Next, I want you to see that the focus of bold prayer is a good and willing father. Father a good and willing father. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. Notice this. Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. That sounds just like Jesus. Sounds just like God, doesn't it? Isn't that just what the father is like? No, that's exactly the point. The point of Jesus is to contrast this neighbor to the nature and character of a good and willing father. See, all the family would have been asleep on mats in the same room. An average Jewish family at that time was pretty poor. They didn't have multiple rooms. Everybody didn't get their own bedroom. That was a foreign concept. They would have all been sleeping in a common room. Mats laid out, maybe a raised bed in a couple of places. And everybody's asleep. It's midnight. Kids have been down for a while. Just snoring going on in that room. And all of a sudden, bam, 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 bam. I need, I need, I need. This made the neighbor unwilling to wake up his family. Yet, the focus of the parable is not to paint God as an unwilling neighbor or friend, but to contrast him to this friend. God's nature is generous and willing. God would never say, do not bother me. The door is now shut. I can't give you anything. Rather, God would say, I love to hear you. Come on in. The door is open. I have what you need. That's God's character. Which takes me to the next point, and that is the attitude of bold prayer is shameless boldness. Now, some of us are going to get uncomfortable at this point. Shameless boldness. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That word shameless, those two words, shameless boldness, in some translations is importunity, which is a foreign word in our time but or impudence and impudence would indicate that the friend is shamelessly and boldly awakening his neighbor and the neighbor will give him what he needs on this interpretation jesus point is that even if a human being will respond to his neighbor in that way christians can go boldly before god with any need they face for god is more gracious and caring than any human neighbor and let me just tell you something god loves your bold prayers even your bold prayers that remind Him of who he is This is a common thing you see in Scripture, actually. You see it with Moses. Go read the Exodus account, especially chapter 32, 33, 34. You see this interaction between God and His people. And uh, the people have made a golden calf, and the Lord's angry, and Moses starts to kind of argue back and forth with God. And, you know, you're like, you're waiting for God to make a grease spot out of Moses. Just be like, what are you saying, boy? And it's over. But you don't. You see God rejoicing that his son is interacting with him this way, that they're having this conversation. And and many times you see Moses reminds God, hey God, are you going to let your people go out in the wilderness and die? You know what's going to happen then, God? You're going to get a bad reputation because all the nations around are going to say, God couldn't even take care of his own people. He just let them out in the wilderness so that they would die. (laughs) So he talked to God And many people in the Bible talk to God boldly. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you be disrespectful. I'm not saying that you remind God of things that are not His nature. But if God's promised to care, we can tell Him. You're a provider. You said you would care for me. The Scripture says it right here. You can take out the Bible and use it with God. That's not manipulation. He loves that kind of relationship. If you've ever seen the movie, I think I brought it up recently, Fiddler on the Roof. Tevia, the main character, just has this really funny conversational relationship with God. And he's walking, talking to God all the time. Oh, Lord, did you have to bless me with poverty? You know? And five daughters. And in that culture, he's like, you know, I don't have a son. And he's, he's talking to God like this, and he's sharing his suffering and his pain and his reality and he's, he's like asking God hard questions and he's saying hard things and he's reminding God of what God said he would do in his favor. He's not afraid that God's going to smite him for it and God actually delights in this because this is true relationship. See, true relationship isn't, you know as well as I do, who wants to be in a relationship where you have to walk on eggshells and dance around things all the time? Again, I'm not talking about being disrespectful. Yo, Big guy. Jesus is my homeboy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being real with God about life, reminding him of what He's said and what he's done, right? reminding him of his nature, his character. He loves it when we begin to remind him of who he is. You're a healer. You're kind. You're good. You've done this for your people for thousands of years. I've had prayer meetings with God like that reminding him of things that he showed me, that he said to me, Lord, you said, back when I was a young Christian, this is what happened. You gave me this text of Scripture. Lord, come on, where are you? Are you going to do this? This is what you promised you would do. And some of you be like, ooh, I'd never talk to God like that. That's the way people all through the Bible talk to God. And this is shameless boldness. More than 150 years ago, one of the greatest prayer warriors in church history, a man named George Mueller, Many called him the Prince of Intercessors. He started up orphanages all over Europe and England, and he brought children in, and he never one time asked for financial help. And here's why he didn't, is he felt like right at the beginning when he was going to do this, that God ministered to his heart that he was to pray and not say anything, and he was to pray, and God would speak to people. And it was a conviction. He felt like he needed to be an example in a generation where a lot of people were always asking. So he went to prayer and he just prayed, God, I ask you to talk to people and and to provide our needs. And he opened up all these orphanages and hundreds of children all over that part of the world began to be ministered to. I think it went into the thousands. And all he would do is pray. And they'd run out of supplies and he'd pray. And like a vehicle would break down out in front, you know, with a broken wheel and It would have milk and bread and so it wouldn't spoil, they'd bring it to the door, knock on the door, and he'd open the door and they'd say, Well, we broke down outside your house. Do you guys need some of this? And it would be literally that morning he prayed, God, we don't have anything. That kind of thing happened all the time. Well, interesting thing about his life, he began to pray for five personal friends. And after five years, one of them came to Christ. In ten years, two more found Jesus as Savior. He prayed on for 25 years, and the fourth man came to Jesus. For the fifth person, he prayed until the time of his death, and this friend, too, came to Christ within a few months of his death. For his latter friend, George Mueller, had prayed for almost 52 years. When we behold such perseverance in prayer, we feel that we have scarcely touched the fringe of real shameless boldness in our prayers for others. Amen? that takes me to the last couple of points. Next point, ask, seek, and knock, and you will receive, find, and experience open doors. Look at the amplified version of Luke 11, 9, and 10, and it captures the actual Greek tense for ask, seek, and knock. This is what the Greek language is saying here. It says, so I say to you, ask and keep on asking, and it shall be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, And you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks and keep on asking receives, and he who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door shall be opened. See, God wants to reveal Himself to you. Don't give up. Can I? Can I tell you? Some of you right now, you're on the edge, and I'm not trying to preach. You know always being on the precipice and you're always near a breakthrough. There's some people that talk like breakthrough's always gonna happen every day in your life, okay? But some of you are in a place in your life right now, whether it's a work situation, a family situation, a financial situation, a health situation where you've been knocking and seeking and asking and you are right at the point right now where you're ready to give up. And I just wanna tell you one of the main points of this text is don't give up. Don't you quit. You keep knocking and asking and seeking. Don't you give up. Don't quit. Jesus is listening to you. The Father is listening to you. God wants to reveal Himself to you. You know, God loves, God loves when our lives bring glory to Him. When prayers get answered, it gives Him so much honor. It's so fun for... Imagine, I know that's a funny word to say of God, but I think God has genuine fun with answering our prayers. I think he loves to see people who are just hanging on, holding on, asking, seeking, knocking, who won't give up, who are tenacious, right? Like a dog with a bone, right? Got that lockjaw jaw thing, won't let go. And then the door opens, and the answer comes and everybody goes, wow, how did that happen? And you say, I can't take any credit, it was the Lord all I did was say, help. And God came through. Amen. See, here's the interesting thing. Like any other communication skill that requires practice, failures, and ongoing adjustments, prayer is developed over time. Many people give up too soon in prayer because it doesn't work. And I've heard people say that. It doesn't work. My prayers don't work. I'm not good at this. But think about this. Those same people will practice their golf game exercise program, cooking skills, gardening, or many other things, and they expect some failures along the way. They, they understand that I don't know everything there is to know about this area. And see, back to the beginning, humility. When we recognize our need and we recognize, you know, that we, we, we got to have help. We have need other people to give input to our lives and speak into us about this. We need help in this. When we recognize that and we seek it out, we're breaking the power of pride. And let me tell you something, pride is at the root of all human sin. Pride is us setting up shop on our own and saying, I don't need you, God. I got life. I got this. I can figure it out. And what happens when we go to God and when we go to others and we say, I need help in this area of my life, help me learn how to pray. And we learn to pray and we don't give up is we're making it very evident to the heart of God, and even in our own life and people around, I can't do life on my own. Without your intervention, things are going to go really bad. Please help God. And when we do that, we break the power of pride and we come into a place of humility and grace floods our life and God floods our life. Amen. Takes me to the last point. The father who grants bold prayers is good and generous. Once again, contrast Jesus as a master. This the Father who uh, the excuse me. What father among you? Verse eleven. What father among you if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Now we all know that if a if a father gave his son a snake instead of a fish when his son had need of food, that's pretty twisted. Now some of you dads might do that with a rubber snake just to have fun. <laughs> and that's different. That'd be a very dad thing to do, right? But he's being serious here. We know that that would be a twisted heart, right? But God doesn't have a twisted heart. He's not going to give a snake. He's not going to give, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more, much more, much more, much more, Will, your, will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Quickly, God is a Father who gives much more than any earthly father ever could or would. Right? Think about it. God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust alike. God gets a lot of bad press these days. You noticed that? God ain't cool. People find fault with God all the time. And I understand Human suffering is rough. All of us in life are going to suffer. We're going to experience loss. We're going to experience death and pain. We're going to go through seasons of deprivation. We're all going to experience that. Some people will tell you that you can walk in a place of faith where none of that stuff ever happens, and that is a complete lie, completely counter to the gospel because you are living in a world that is at war with many of the things that Jesus taught. And so that, those two worlds are going to clash, and sometimes in that clash there's going to be pain and suffering and sorrow and loss. Okay, and in the midst of all of that, there is a God who is good and who causes it to rain. Like every day, the sun comes up. Every day, He clothes the fields around the world with rain. We have food to eat, air to breathe. We have beauty. We have vistas. We have oceans to look at. We, every day, we, as we walk around and go about our lives, some of us, we might not like our job much, but you're eaten because of it. Right, and so we see all through, even people that don't love God, don't know God, don't want anything to do with God, God is kind to them. Yes. He's just pouring out on everyone's lives. Right? He's just so good. And then he says, he will give, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why did he end with that? It almost seems off. Why did he end with that? Well, he ended with that because if he gives you the Holy Spirit, Everything else in life that you need is in Him. Everything you will ever need is in God. We sang a song earlier where we were saying, you know, um, one thing. Well, how, how, how the, can, we, can we throw up that, that chorus, we are fixed on this one thing, is that it? Um, to know, okay, so it's going to come up here in a minute. We are fixed on this one thing. To know your goodness and see your glory. Um, we're transformed by this one thing. No, to know your presence, to see your beauty. Uh, let's keep scrolling through here. We're gonna. This is all, it's the last one. The, last one. the la- No, this is the one I, I wanted, I think. I think maybe it is. Well, anyway, here's the point. <laughs> Sorry. We're having a nice little interaction here, aren't we? Okay. You're like, okay, okay, what's the point? What's the point? Sometimes we'll sing songs about Jesus being everything. And we don't need anything else. Yeah, it was the other one, right? We we take the world. Thank you, Brandy. Take the world. All I want is Jesus. And sometimes I know, I know how we are as humans. I know some of us are out there and intellectually we're going, "Wait a minute. I need food. I need clothing. I need relationships." Really? I mean, I mean, do I only need Jesus? here's the thing we forget. If you get Him, you get the universe. And everything you'll ever need is attached to Him. So if all you get is Jesus, you get everything thrown in with it. C.S. Lewis said this profound. He said, if you focus your attention on the earth and what's in the earth, if that becomes your fixation, where you put your affections and your attention and your energy, and you spend your whole life focusing on earthly things, at the end of life, You'll not only not get what you focused on, but you'll not get heaven and eternity. But if you focus on what is eternal and heavenly and you fix your gaze and your attention and your affections on Him and there, you'll get the earth thrown in with it. It's this principle. If you seek to save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, you find it, right? And so... He's enough, and if He'll give us His Holy Spirit, if He'll pour out upon our lives abundantly His Holy Spirit, He'll also give us everything else we need, and in in the Spirit is the kingdom, and in the Spirit are all God's gifts, and in the Spirit is God's provision, and by the Holy Spirit, we see our need for Jesus and the gospel and the cross and His death, burial and resurrection and our necessity for salvation. All of those things come by an abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So when we get the Holy Spirit, we get everything else attached to Him. Amen? Amen. Kenneth Bailey wrote this, and this is where I finish. God's attitude toward His children is the opposite of the attitude of the friend toward His knocking neighbor. God will not grant answers to prayer to avoid shame as this man did. He will grant them unselfishly and lovingly. Jesus' point was that if shame was effective with such a friend, How much more eagerly shall the heavenly Father respond when His children make requests of Him? God is more than a friend of disciples. He is their Father. Amen. Will you stand with me?